0: This week when I was looking at the text that we wanted to read and spend a few moments with, uh, I thought, you know, we normally put the reading of the text on the screen so you can read along, but this story probably would be better if we just heard it rather than reading along with it. But then I thought, no, that's not what we do. So I went ahead and gave it to Brian, asked him to load it up. But I guess subconsciously I really wanted to do it the other way because I gave him the wrong text. So what got loaded in the computer isn't what we're going to read. So you're just going to have to listen, okay? Let's be standing, please, as we hear this. One of the mountaintop passages of all Scripture uh, from Luke chapter 23, the crucifixion of Jesus, beginning in verse 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. There with the criminals, one on his right, and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he really is the Messiah. The soldiers also mocked him, Coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself, save us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you, will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, and he said, Certainly, this man was innocent. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate Scott stepping in for Brian this morning. You ever been watching a movie and you think you're following the plot, you know what's going on, and then all of a sudden something happens and you realize that you hadn't been knowing what was going on all along, that you've been kind of watching the wrong movie, that the director of the movie kind of led you in this direction, but really what was happening was something over here. I'm a Hitchcock fan. Anybody else like Alfred Hitchcock? All right, a few of you. You young folks, look it up in Wikipedia, okay? But Hitchcock was a great director and, uh, he was really good at that. He he called putting it, throwing in the red herring, that he would throw out things out there to get you to follow along, thinking you knew what was happening. And then toward the end of the picture, you find out you didn't have a clue. Uh, probably his masterpiece along that lines is the movie Vertigo. Vertigo is a very complicated movie. Uh, I'll give you about a two-minute synopsis here, okay? But if you ever watch Vertigo, you know Jimmy Stewart is hired by this man to follow the man's wife because the wife is acting strangely. She seems to be self-destructive, and she's obsessed with this woman named Carlotta who had lived years ago. And so, Jimmy Stewart starts following around, and sure enough, she's doing some weird stuff. In fact, at one point, she even jumps into San Francisco Bay, and Jimmy Stewart has to jump in and and pull her out to save her life. Well, as they go along, at one point, she leads Jimmy Stewart out to this old Spanish mission. And she starts climbing up in the bell tower, and Jimmy Stewart is just panicking because he's afraid, again, she's going to try to kill herself. And so he starts running after her, but as as she climbs the bell tower, he starts going up the stairs, but he has to stop because he has vertigo. That's right. And uh, we won't tell you where he got that. That's too, okay. But watch the movie if you've forgotten. But anyway, he stops and, and he doesn't, by the time he gets to the top, he gets there just in time to see her fall or to jump and she dies. Well, he is consumed by guilt and also realizes that he has become somewhat obsessed himself with this woman. Uh, by the way, if you read the critics and all the people that look into the, you know, those, those weird folks that know what movies are really saying, uh, you know, it, it, the, the mo- whole movie's about obsession. Uh, but anyway, he realizes that he's become obsessed with this woman and he's in deep grief because he wasn't able to get to her and to save her life. And then one day he's going down the street and he sees a woman walking along and it reminds him of her. And he becomes convinced that maybe it is her. And all of a sudden you start realizing, I've been watching the wrong movie. I thought I knew what was going on, but I didn't. What was going on was that it was that woman that he had been following, that she had been hired by the husband of the real woman in order to give an alibi and an excuse a cover for the fact that he was going to murder his wife which he did and so it all kinda all comes together and you leave thinking wow you know trying to figure all this out and if it weren't for that moment where it all became clear and you go oh so that's what it was all about now why are we talking about Hitchcock and Vertigo and all this well I want to tell you why because that text we just read a moment ago is inf- infinitely more important as a moment of revelation than those little aha moments in movies. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the one event in history that tells us what's going on. And we can live our entire lives thinking we've got this figured out. Believing that we know what life is about, we know what we're doing, we know how to live, we at least know how we wish we were living, we know all these things. But it is the crucifixion of Jesus that breaks into our world and says, this is really what it's all about. And what a shame if we live our 70, 80, 90 years on this earth Only to find out at the end, we've been watching the wrong movie. And we never got it. Never understood. In the story of Jesus, and it's particularly at the end of the Gospels here, we tend to look at these Jewish authorities that brought about his death as people who were villains. Villains. They were just bad people. But with a little reflection, it's really easy for us to see why they did what they did. And in fact, if we just stop and think about why all these people turned on Jesus and brought about his crucifixion, we can see that we understand the movie they were watching. We understand the way they were thinking. And in fact, it might just be the same way that we Continue to think even to this day. Let's go back and revisit this little story that's told so succinctly and yet is so important. What's going on here? Well, you have these Jewish authorities that are charged with the care of their people. They're supposed to take care of their people, they're supposed to guard, particularly, their religious beliefs. And as they're going along, all of a sudden, this itinerant uneducated, untrained preacher from, of all places, Nazareth up in Galilee. He comes onto the scene and he goes out and he starts saying some rather outlandish things and stirring up the people as he goes. He's going along and he, he, he's, he's saying such things as, as that, that he is the Messiah. Now, how ludicrous is that? That, that someone, this unknown, this, you know, rural, little backwoodsy town guy, he's the Messiah of God? And to make matters worse, he goes around criticizing how they're doing things in the temple. He's saying, you know, your religious leaders are getting it all wrong. They're messing up. They're not doing things the way it ought to be done. And he's even telling them, don't you watch the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most religious, devoted people of the day. And he's telling people, don't watch them. Don't do what they're doing. And he's saying such things that that he is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. That is hard for us to even wrap our minds around how, how silly that would sound to these educated, respected authorities, that this guy is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. And there were times he even said, I am greater than Moses. And then there were times, too, that he would even hint at the fact he was the very son of God. Now, you get in these guys' skin and you think, no wonder They were outraged by this guy. Now, they had had other people come along that were kind of crazy like this. And they had had people go around saying all these outlandish things. But the problem was, I mean, the, the lack of problem with them was that they never really attracted much of a crowd. And so they just sort of let them go along and die out. And that was that. But this Jesus of Nazareth was causing problems. Thousands of people were flocking to him. And they were afraid not only that these people would turn against them, but that they would uh, break out into an actual rebellion against the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire would send their legions down there and just wipe out their land, and that would be that. So you can understand why they came to the conclusion, we've got to get rid of this guy. This guy is dangerous. Can't you understand that? It was the establishment point of view. You know, I'm pretty much an establishment person. And I think that probably if I had been there at that time, I'd been right along with them. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Why is he doing this? Do you know what the conservative viewpoint of the day was? Most all of us in this room are fairly conservative people in all that we do and all that we believe. The conservative viewpoint of the day was get rid of him. He's dangerous. He's changing things. We don't want things changed. So this became what they did. He had to be stopped. That's just the way it was. But the way Luke tells the story, we quickly become aware that not only did they have it wrong... Even after all these years, we may still have it wrong. Even after all these years, we may still be watching the wrong movie. Luke tells a story about that last day of Jesus' life in a way that points out how out of touch with reality everyone was. He starts out by telling, well, let's pick up the story where Jesus is out in the garden praying with his disciples after the Passover feast. Remember that? You know where we are? He's gone out. He's praying in the garden. He's sweating great drops of sweat like blood, it says. And here comes the police force. And it's almost laughable because here is Jesus unarmed, a man of peace, A man they had never seen carrying a weapon of any kind. A man who never attacked really anyone at all. He's out there praying in the garden and they send the SWAT team out after him. And they come in, they've got their armor, they've got their swords, they've got the spears. And Jesus looks at him and says, what are you guys doing? If you wanted me, just come tell me you want me. I've been in the temple teaching every day. You didn't show up like this you don't have to do this, just tell me, I'll go. One of his disciples did pull out a sword, and Jesus said, put it up. That's not the way we do things here. When they get him to Pilate, the Roman authority, the only one who could pronounce the death sentence, they think, aha, now at this point, things will begin to happen our way. And yet when they get in there, what do they hear? Instead, Pilate, three times, three times, says, I don't see anything wrong with this man. This man is innocent. This man does not deserve to even be arrested. Why don't you just let me flog him if that will make you happy? I don't even think we ought to do that. We'll just let him go. But they say, no, crucify him. Pilate sends him to Herod. Herod was a strange man. Herod is just not much of a person. And he interviews Jesus. And even this man who was, 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 was so incapable of being a very good ruler and judge, even he, as he examined Jesus, he said, you know what? There's nothing wrong with this guy. This guy hasn't done anything at all. And yet the people kept saying, we've got to get rid of him. And Pilate says, well, you know what, every year we release one person out into the masses again as just sort of a a, a little favor for you guys at your holiday season. Why don't you let me get rid of, you know, I'll just release this guy. No, 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 they said. We want Barabbas. Now, Barabbas, the amazing thing was he had done the very things he had really done them that they were accusing Jesus of. He was the one that was out there trying to get a rebellion going. He was the murderer. But they're so far out of touch with reality, that they say, no, release Barabbas, kill Jesus. As Jesus is carrying his cross or walking along and Simon of Cyrene takes over and is carrying his cross, he runs into some women and the women are crying for Jesus. And Jesus shakes his head and said, ladies, I appreciate it, but don't cry for me. You need to be crying for yourselves because you guys, y'all are watching the wrong movie." They get him to the cross, they nail him to the cross, and out of his mouth comes the phrase, Father, forgive them, because you know and I know none of these people here have a clue what they're doing. Even one of the criminals who's hanging there on the cross next to him turns to the one who's making fun of Jesus and says, hush, we're getting what we deserve but this man has done nothing wrong. Have you gotten the point yet? What is it Luke is trying to tell us? Well, if we haven't gotten it yet, If you haven't had your aha moment yet and realize what's going on in the crucifixion, at the very end, as Jesus breathes his last, the centurion guard, the one who was charged with standing there making sure that the execution was carried out properly and that the man who was condemned had died, when he saw that Jesus had breathed his last, he looked up at him and he said, for sure, certainly, absolutely, this was an innocent man. that's what really happened. That this man who was innocent died. The crucifixion of Jesus in the eyes of Luke tells us the truth about our world. It shows us in graphic scenes and language how deeply each of us has sunk into sin in proclaiming the innocence of Jesus the crucifixion convicts the rest of us as sinners we know it the crucifixion of the innocent of the one who finally got it right reminds us of how wrong we are it reminds us how much easier it is for us to hate than to love? You know, if we could just come to making that confession, that is getting finally in touch with reality, that in our hearts, it is really easier for us to hate than it is to love. That seems to be what we're programmed to do, is to disapprove of others, to be critical of others. How much easier it is for us to condemn than it is to help. How much easier it is for us to criticize than to praise. How much easier it is for us to be offended by someone than to be gracious to them. How much easier it is for us to be angry with others than it is to live with the peace of God in our hearts. How much easier it is for us to be afraid than it is to live a life of faith and calmness and assurance that God loves us, that he wants us. How much easier it is for us to live for ourselves rather than to live for God. The crucifixion of Jesus is the point at which when one finally lived a faithful life and the world rose up in rebellion against that, it says, we don't want that. It tells us how far we've fallen And how deep in sin we are, and how wrong we are. It shows us why we have problems in our families. Because we'd rather be critical than helpful. We'd rather be resentful than gracious. We'd rather point out faults than to build people up. We'd rather do all of these things. We'd rather nurse our little grudges and be offended than to forgive. That's just who we are, isn't it? It's why we have problems with our relationships and our communities. It's why the politicians feed on our fears. They know. They want us angry. It's a lot easier than tapping into our love and into our concern and into our grace and into our mercy. Whenever you read the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, do not read it as history. Read it as God's word to you about what's really going on. How did the apostles preach the crucifixion later? You know, Luke has part two of his gospel. We call it the book of Acts. And in Acts, the apostles start going out and preaching about what went on in the crucifixion. And I want to read a portion of one of Peter's sermons in chapter 3 of Acts. This is after he and John had made the lame man walk, and they were called into question for that, because once again, people are watching the wrong movie. You can't do that. We don't like that. Listen to what he says to them. He says, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we made him to walk? Verse 13 of chapter 3 of Acts. I see some of you looking it up. I'm sorry. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, who you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, even though Pilate thought he was innocent. But you, you rejected holiness and righteousness, the Holy One and Righteous One. You even asked for a murderer to be released to you. And you killed the author of life. But God said no to you. God said that he wanted to show you what was really going on. And he raised him from the dead. Verse 17. And now, friends, I know you didn't know what you were doing when you did that. You thought you were living life like you were supposed to. You thought you were doing things the way everybody else did them. You thought you knew what was going on. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold all, through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, now what you need to do is repent. Change. Start watching the right movie. Realize that God's way is the, God of, uh, is the way of love and mercy and forgiveness and peace and faith. That that's the path that we are called to walk and not to live our lives in hate and anger and criticism and in tearing down. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and so that those times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You want God to refresh you? Watch his movie live life His way, because the crucifixion of His Son pulled back the screen and said, this is what's really going on. Our leaders are going to stand in their positions again here in a moment, and as we stand and sing, if you have any response in your heart to the way of God, if you are to the point of needing to change and to repent, if you've been watching the wrong movie, and need to return to the ways of God, this is your chance. Make your way to one of them. Let's stand and sing.